Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. We are everyday people following Jesus every day. Uh, I want to tell you a, a different story this morning. I want to tell you a story about proximity to power. It's about this guy named Matt who knew all about proximity to power. He, he had the kind of job that gave him some power, some ability to uh, influence other people, make them do what he wanted. But it was also the kind of job that put him in the room often with people who had real power, like the, the kind of power where people just do what they want with just a word or a snap of their fingers, right? He knew about being in proximity to power in this uh, job that he had chosen. Now, his family actually hated this job that he had. Uh, we, we don't know a lot about them, but it is safe to assume. <laughs> it's safe to assume that they hated this job uh, that, that he had. Uh, see, he'd, he'd, uh, right out of school, he grabbed a, a government job, which in and of itself seems fine. Uh, good benefits. Uh, good pay, some upward mobility in his career. Uh, but uh, where he had grown up, uh, the era he had grown up, his family had taught him uh, to be very, very concerned about the government. All the government conspiracy things, they're out to get you, all, all of that. And so when he then grew up and got a government job, they felt like he had betrayed everything they had taught him to be. And they felt that way because he had. Because whatever they had taught him when he hit the real world, he realized that for him, a power and money were going to go a lot further than, than conspiracy theories and protests and being the little guy smashed down by the government. He wanted the power that, that came with it. Now, he was, found himself in sort of the financial sector of the government, and, and in that industry for him and the government he was a part of, it just was known that just about everybody, if not everybody, uh, was, was cutting corners, taking a little off the top. Uh, again, doing what you have to do to get ahead. This job had some upward mobility, but uh, if you're going to be going places, sometimes you have to step on some people to get there. So he was more than willing to do that. Now, with all of that and all of his family opposition to it, we have no idea how his family felt when one day he just quit his job out of the blue. He just quit. He had this job that was everything he said he wanted, and then he just walked away. He said he'd found religion, and while they had raised him with some government-opposed religion, some memorizing of scriptures. They thought he turned his back on all of that. So when he said he found religion, that sounded good at first. And then they realized that what he was a part of felt a whole lot more like a cult than it did religion. More of a, a traveling circus than anything they had raised him to be a part of. Matt had given up everything. The wealth, the power, the proximity, the future, all of it, to give his everything to this traveling preacher named Jesus and to follow him around through the countryside, which is how Matthew ends up in proximity to Jesus, to Jesus's teachings, miracles, power, to hearing Jesus teach over and over and over again. And at some point, Matthew began to write down the things that Jesus was teaching. 
And he would write them down and he would share them with the people he loved and cared about, whether they knew what to do with these teachings or not. And what Matthew wrote down is now preserved for us in the New Testament of Scripture. These teachings of Jesus that were far more humble than his government job had taught him to be and far more comforting than his religious upbringing had taught him to be. Promises like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. These writings of Matthew, as I said, are preserved for us in the New Testament, the very first book of the, of the New Testament of the Bible. And these two teachings in particular are part of a list that we now call the Beatitudes. And if you've been around the last couple of weeks, you recognize those. And you know that we are going to spend this season headed towards Easter, the season we call Lent, the season of figuring out what Jesus is calling us to do and how he's calling us to follow him. We're going to spend this season looking at this list of blessings, of congratulations, of comfort that Jesus spoke over his followers. This list with a promise that whatever circumstances the hearers found themselves in, God was with them and actively loving them. We're going to zero in on this list and just how upside down these teachings are. And today we're going to focus in on this particular congratulatory statement. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So for those filling out notes, that's your first one. Uh, sorry for the false start on the other ones. If I faked you out there, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We're also in the season going to work on memorizing some scripture together. So we're actually going to read this together three times. Uh, you, you may know the drill from a couple weeks ago. Uh, I'll remove some words as we go along, but we'll just read this together three times. Uh, so we have this stuck in our brain and hopefully not just in our brain, but in our hearts and souls and lives. So, uh, ready? Let's read it together. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Good work. Uh, meekness is not a word with real great connotations in our culture. We really like the word inherit. Inheritance, great. Meek, not so much. Uh, before we talk about meekness, I want to start with the very first word of this verse and remind us about what we mean by blessed. We defined blessed this way a couple weeks ago. It is the witness and favor of God. And as I said, witness, not a word as far as I know, but it is more than God. God is with all of us, whether we know it or not. This is God being on our Team. I actually really liked Jesse's definition and should steal that. That was great. There are good things that God wants to accomplish in our lives and that he is coming alongside us to do that. Favor does not mean we get everything we want. It means that there are good things that God wants to accomplish in our lives. A couple weeks ago, I also mentioned that this list of Beatitudes is not a goal list. Jesus is talking to people who are already in these circumstances of poor in spirit, of mourning, of meekness. And yet, every one of these things is also in some way true of Jesus. 
So when we define poor in spirit as people who recognize the need to be dependent on God, that we just are, we have to be dependent on God. We see throughout the gospels, Jesus getting away from people and from ministry to spend time with the father, to connect, to, to recognize his dependence. Last week, Wayne walked us through a mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. And we read how Jesus wept. And Jesus actually wept multiple times in the stories that we have in the Gospels. He wept for the people he loved, cared about. Okay, so that's, we can get there. But meekness, again, not a positive connotation for us. But Jesus actually uses this word to describe himself. Uh, This is Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29. Come to me, all you who are weary. So this is Jesus talking. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. A beautiful promise. And if you came in here stressed and overwhelmed today, I hope you received that promise as well. You will find rest for your souls. Jesus is making an oxen metaphor here. Uh, He's also making a word play on the word yoke. And we will come back to both of those things. But uh, I want to pay attention to a second to this verse, verse 29. And the word gentle. Uh, In other translations, it is uh, sometimes humble. It's the exact same Greek word by the same author as what we read in Matthew 5, 5. The same word for meek is here, gentle. Okay, meek, gentle. Certainly Matthew is thinking the same thing as he quotes Jesus in both places. And if Jesus gives us this concept, if this, he preaches this as part of himself, and not only part of himself, but part of why we should come to him, then certainly he does not mean it is a bad thing. So uh, let's dispute some of the negatives around meekness, okay? First, meekness is not Weakness, and I have now checked the Pastor Rhymed Unnecessarily card or a spot on your bingo card, so you can uh, fill in. It's a free space this morning. Anyway, meekness is not weakness. Meekness does not mean pushover or easily taken advantage of. But we think of meekness as the opposite of strength, and some of the problem is in our definition of meek. But I think a lot of the problem is in our definition of strong. We equate strength with power, with the ability to overpower. If you think about somebody that you would identify as being physically strong, well, that's somebody who can overpower the people around them. But if you remember from last couple weeks, Jesus isn't talking to people of power. Nor, anywhere in the Gospels, does he ever ask people, to physically or politically overpower anyone, ever. There is also a strength that isn't power. And the best word I can come up with is fortitude. This this ability to stand your ground, to, to hold your position under pressure. I want to break meekness down into a 
couple of different categories, and so hopefully this helps bring some, some clarity. First, meekness as circumstance. The inability to overpower. Meekness as a circumstance. You find yourself in meek circumstances. You are unable to overpower. Jesus is talking to people who are on the bottom of a hierarchical society, outcast, overlooked. They feel powerless to affect change for their society, for their family, for themselves. And maybe you feel like that. That as you look at the world around us, as you look at the country around us, as you look at your own family, you feel powerless to create the change you want to see, to protect those you love. There is an inability to overpower the circumstances around you. Your circumstances are overwhelming and there is just nothing you can do about it. When we feel powerless, we feel trapped and stuck and it's scary. Some number of months ago, uh, we, I should start this by saying we have neighborhood cats. Okay, like our, our couple people in the neighborhood feed the cats. They kind of roam around. I love it because then the mice aren't in my house and the cats aren't either, and it's fantastic. Okay, so we have neighborhood cats. Well, we became aware at some point, the neighborhood did, that uh, one of our neighborhood cats was uh, going to be having neighborhood kittens. Okay, and then, uh, and, and then one day, uh, the cat uh, no longer looked like she was going to have kittens. So now there are kittens somewhere, and nobody knows where, probably uh, in the woods across the street from our house. Um, and so we're a little worried about that, but we're, we're kind of monitoring the situation. Well, my girls and a couple of their friends uh, were out uh, playing in the yard one day and discovered that Mama Cat had moved her kittens from the woods into a little nook outside our house. There's a place where our house L's, and, and they could kind of get down uh, almost under the house uh, against the concrete foundation. And, and it was a much safer place than the middle of the woods for them to be. So that made sense. But now we can get them to a safer spot. So I go down the street, a couple houses down, and, and I, I to one of the houses that I know has been feeding uh, the cats and taking care of them. And, and uh, I grabbed one of the teenage guys who lives there and said, hey, uh, come help me get these, these kittens. We found them. And, and so he grabs a cardboard box, and I get him some gloves, and, and we go to get these kittens. And these kittens are about that. I mean, they're so, so cute. So anyway, uh, there was a lot of lobbying happening from four uh, young ladies to good. Three different households, four young ladies, and I don't think any of us went home with a cat. That is strong parenting right there. Yes, we, yes, you can wave all you want. We still topped you. Okay, so... Uh, uh, I, the, the problem was that uh, this strapping young man uh, got to these very cute little kittens, and one of these little kittens decided that it was a protector kitty, uh, and it hissed, and it lashed, and it was uh, yowling, and it was quite cranky, um, and, and so there's like nine of them, um, and, and, and just one who's real angry, but he's real angry, and um, and Mama Cat's just back there kind of wondering what we're going to do. Anyway, so uh, this, this wonderful young man looks at that and goes, I'm not touching them. Like, what, what do you mean you're not touching them? He's like, well, that one's angry. I'm not, I can't. Fine. So, so uh, I, I get to be the allergic one who picks up the kitties and sits them in the box. And that's fine. And it actually was very, very easy. Why? Because they're this big. And in fairness to that poor little kitten, um, if somebody 200 times my size was trying to pick up me and all of my siblings, I would lash and 
scratch and meow and all those things probably too, in some form or fashion. That would be very scary. I get it. But at some point, it just, it's just that, that big and fluffy and adorable. And, and anyway, they all went to a good home and none of them was mine. That's the good news of this story. Okay. <laughs> when we are in meek circumstances, when we feel powerless, we have a tendency to lash out and scratch and claw and yell and post on social media and do whatever it is that we have to do to try and overcome, use whatever power we have to, uh, to get out of that powerless situation. So uh, if you um, are, are somebody who finds yourself in a situation of powerlessness, there are two things that I want you to know this morning. One, uh, your lashing out is usually not any more effective than that kitten's. Two, you are blessed. That's what Jesus is saying here. That if you find yourself in that kind of powerless, scary circumstance, situation, you are blessed. Now, how is that possible? Well, it has something to do with the oxen metaphor, and so we will come back to that. I also want to acknowledge that many of us are not in meek circumstances. That we are some of the richest people in the world. We have houses, we have cars, we have running water. That puts us over a great many people in the world. Many of us have influence in our families or in our workplaces. In our country, we have a voice to vote. And whatever, however strong you think that voice is, that's still more than most people in the world get. So while those forced into meekness by the circumstances of their lives need to know that God is with them and blesses them, what about those of us who are not in those circumstances, who do have some power, are we then not blessed? Are we then not blessable? Because apparently I have a desire to make up more words. Thankfully, uh, no. No, in our case, we look at the example of Christ because he is the one that we are following every day. He's the one we're modeling our lives after. And we see him define himself as meek. So a quick Bible study side note, as you're going through uh, the Gospels, or really through the New Testament, and you're reading about the characteristics of Christ, when you read about a characteristic of Christ, there are two options, and only two options. One is that it is a characteristic we cannot share with Christ. The other is it is a characteristic we are called to share. Those are the choices. When you see a characteristic of Christ, we either can't share it or we're called to share it. For example, we can't be eternal. We have not existed forever. It will not be our job description to save the world through our death. Okay? These are things we cannot share with Jesus. We can, however, be sacrificial and loving and be in an intimate relationship with God the Father. These are things that we can share with Christ. And I would argue that meekness is in that latter category, which I do want to recognize that by saying this is a thing we want to emulate, I'm actually now turning us away from the Beatitudes list. Because in the Beatitudes, in this section of scripture, he is talking to a group of people that is in, that, in this first category of, of meekness as circumstance. But even for those of us who are not then, there is meekness as an attitude. 
So even if you don't find yourself in meek circumstance, throughout scripture we see Jesus take this on as a characteristic, this meekness, this refusal to overpower. Meekness as an attitude is the refusal to overpower. That even when we have the ability to try and overpower others into submission, we refuse because we identify with Christ's meekness. For example, the story of Palm Sunday. Some of you may be familiar as we head toward Easter. Uh, between now and Easter, we are going to get to Palm Sunday, exactly one week before Easter. It is a story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem, their capital city, and being honored like a king. Uh, we're going to read a part of it this morning. Part of what we don't read is the people laying down palm branches, uh, which is why it's called Palm Sunday, and, and their cloaks so that Jesus' animal doesn't even have to touch the dirt on the road. This is how you treat a a conquering king, an arriving hero, that even the animal he rides in on does not have to touch the dirt of the road. This is uh, Matthew 21, uh, starting in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her, Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to, the daughter, to, say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. There's that word again, gentle, same Greek word. There's this king prophesied as being gentle or meek. And the people around him missed it. They got real focused on the king part. See, they'd, they'd heard all about his power. And I think if I was them, I might have missed it too. They'd heard about uh, his power to heal, the, the powerful miracles he was performing, the power to tell other, other powerful people to shove off, and they had heard the rumors that he is their savior. He's the one they've been waiting for to go after the other powerful people and tear them down. They expect what we expect today, that if you have power, you use it. And he is riding into the capital city to take over, to take power and to share it with whomever he chooses to share it with. And they want to be as close to power as possible. On January 6th, 2021, people waving Jesus flags rode into our capital city to take power, to take power they felt was rightfully theirs and to share it with whom they wanted to share it with. The people then missed it. I think we might have missed it too. Jesus is the king of kings. And he had every right to take any earthly kingdom he wanted to, to take all the power he wanted to, and he refused. And five days later, he was dead. And because we equate success with the ability to overpower and to shout about your victory... It looks like he lost. 
And yet 2,000 years later, we call that Friday, that day he died, Good Friday, because of all that was accomplished. Because Jesus knew that the power he had spiritually was far more important than any power he could hold politically. So what do we do when there's injustice? When things just aren't right, shouldn't we overpower when we need to to make things right? We will talk next week about hungering for things to be made right, and certainly that is a characteristic of Jesus that we want to identify with, that we're called to share. But somehow we've gotten it in our heads that the only options for facing down injustice are to overpower with strength or to cower in fear. These are our only choices. Like somehow strength and fear are opposites and to refuse to overpower, to choose meekness is to choose fear. Meekness is not fear. When we use meek in modern American language, we often mean someone mousy, someone who's always looking over their shoulder, someone anxious and afraid and always rubbing their hands together in fear of what might happen. And while meekness does not exclude fear, it also doesn't mean that we give in to it, that the meek can still face injustice, can still confront the wrong with strength and courage, just without overconfident overpowering. The people Jesus is talking to in the Beatitudes know all about being overpowered, being shouted down and disrespected. And no doubt they wanted, I'm sure many of them, to shout down and disrespect those who had done so to them. That certainly would have seemed like the way that people get their way. Sometimes it feels that way today, that that's how people get their way. It's by shouting down, posting in all caps, disrespecting the people around them. Matthew certainly knew all about that kind of power wielding. So what do we do when we are treated poorly? When we are disrespected? When the person we're talking to or in relationship is just plain wrong? A Jesus follower named Peter uh, would later say this about how we engage with someone who is wrong. Not manipulate or overpower or shout down, but rather it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. There's that word gentle again. I do want to recognize the context because I'm just diving in here totally out of context. So let's put it back in its context. Specifically, Peter is writing to women who are married to non-Christian men, which would have been a very big deal in their society and their time because women would belong to whatever religion their husband said they did. He believes this, so everybody, kids, wife, etc., come along. And make no mistake, Peter thought these men were wrong for not believing in Jesus and following Christ with their lives. That's what he wanted as right for everybody. And the women that he is writing to are most definitely in meek circumstances. They have no power or no status and no wealth of their own. And he tells them to persuade with character and gentleness, not sexuality 
or rebellion. As long as we're talking about uh, Peter writing to women, I do want to take a second here to note how this blessing uh, on meekness, on this verse in Peter, the verse in the Beatitudes, uh, has really been wielded against uh, both men and women. Uh, For men, uh, in modern American life, uh, a a call to be meek, a blessing on meekness, uh, should be totally ignored. Uh, we, we are told that that is not part of what it means to be manly in our society. Ignore it. Set it aside. That can't possibly be for us. Like somehow true Christian men need to be angry and overconfident and power hungry. Or on the flip side, because that seems to be how we define masculinity too often, we are told as guys to leave our masculinity outside. Don't bring that in here. Please come in and be very soft and gentle uh, and sing uh, very, very sappy lyrics, even if you don't like them. Uh, and, and you uh, just leave your masculinity out there. We don't want any of it in the church. Like somehow manliness is defined by this ability to overpower instead of being defined by the strength to stand your ground on conviction and grace. Like, you know, Jesus did. Uh, women, I think especially, have been thwarted by teachings on this. That women should be meek and gentle. Don't feel beautiful. Don't speak up. Be seen and not heard, but not too seen. Uh, I am uh, 20 years into ministry. Uh, And I am still sad every time (laughs) that a woman tells me in some way, shape, or form that they don't feel like they can speak up because the men don't want to hear it. Well, too bad. (laughs) The role of women in church is a different soapbox for a different day. So I just want to make sure that I say this. Uh, Ladies, we want your voice in our church. We need your strong personality, your strong opinion, your strong voice in our church. Look, I have three women in my own house, let alone the many uh, throughout our church who are a million times smarter and more courageous than I am. And it would be such a shame for us (laughs) to miss out on that blessing. That said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, If you find yourself in circumstances where you feel like you have no voice, where you get no respect, you are blessed. If you do have power, when you refuse to overpower the voices around you, you are blessed. Meekness is not weakness or fear, but it is a blessing. So let's go back to Jesus' analogy of his own meekness. I'm going to read this again. Uh, this is Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. A yoke, for those uh, unfamiliar, uh, 
would have in Jesus' day been a, a giant, heavy, wooden a tool to hold two oxen together as they pull the plow through the field to keep them going at the same rate and, more importantly, in the same direction. A yoke was also colloquially used to talk about uh, the teachings, the lessons of a rabbi, a teacher like Jesus that you would take the yoke of your teacher, that there is a binding that happens here, that as you take on their teachings, as you seek to uh, work out those teachings in your own life, that you are bound to that teacher. We are bound to Jesus as we take on his teachings and comfort and calling in our lives. This is about leaning into Jesus's strength. Now, the word, uh, the Greek word here used for meek or, or gentle was also used in talking about oxen or, or plow horses or, or whatever it may be of the like to refer to how easy they were to steer or direct. And, and we still use this phrase today. People who uh, work with horses will talk about uh, a soft mouth or a gentle mouth. And what they mean is uh, how easy is it to get that bit in the horse's mouth to get them to move? How, how little pressure do you have to put on the reins? And if it's very, very little, if they're easy to, to uh, direct in some way, uh, gentle mouth, they're responsive to direction. Okay, oxen. Oxen are really strong. Again, this is not about giving up or laying down all of our strength. This is about being responsive. Responsive to what? What do we want our oxen to be responsive to? Certainly not to how hard the ground is to plow because we don't want them giving up just because it's a tough day. And we don't want them giving up because they see a storm on the horizon. No, we want them to hurry up uh, so we can get this done before that storm reaches us. We certainly don't want them being responsive to their circumstances and surroundings. We want them to be responsive to the one who placed the yoke upon them. So make this connection with me. The meek are blessed because it is not about their power, but about God's power in their life. The meek are blessed because it's not about their strength, but of the strength of the one who placed the yoke upon them. The meek will inherit the earth because Jesus is the king of kings and he is inviting them to be leaders in his kingdom. And unlike the kingdoms of the world, Jesus flips it. And he says he wants leaders who are willing not to use their power to overpower, but to lay down their power, to let God's power shine through. The meek are blessed because the meek know that the kingdom, the power, and the glory are God's forever. The meek know that the kingdom, the power, and the glory are God's forever and ever. Amen. Jesus is inviting us to come and find that God's power is enough. That God's strength is enough. Even when we have no power and we have no strength to keep going, his is enough. That in his kingdom, we can lay down our power and lay down our burdens and find that he is enough. He is strong and courageous, and gentle, and humble in heart. 
He invites us to live in that kingdom way. And so we give him our hearts and our lives and we take on his yoke. We take on his teaching. We take on a willingness to let him direct us and we seek to be easy to direct. So as we give ourselves to him and as we sing about that, as we seek to be easy for him to direct us where he wants us to go so that he can do the good things in our lives he wants to do. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you that you do have good for us. And thank you that you are trustworthy for that. That we can trust you. It's why we can be meek enough to let you steer and direct. God, would you soften our hearts that with whatever anger or lashing out or desire to shout down that we may have, God, would you give us your grace for our own hearts and for others? Father, would you give us a strength of conviction, a strength of grace, a strength to accomplish whatever it is that you are asking us to accomplish. And would you give us a gentleness, a meekness, a humbleness, a softness to let you lead us? Because you are the one with the wisdom and the strength that we need. So we give ourselves to you. We give ourselves over to you. And we let you lead. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out our podcast. You can learn more or connect with us online at easthills.org.